Good morning, church. It really is such a joy and a privilege, a pleasure. I mean, that word really applies. A pleasure to be back with you uh, this morning. Um, a ginger is here hiding in the back somewhere. With, where, you said you're back there. There you are. Um, it's just such a delight to bring greetings on behalf of the saints at Christ Community Church, your sister church in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. That's, what, that's one thing I love about being Presbyterian is we care about being the church, doing church together, uh, even, even when we don't get to see each other as often. But again, just, it is such an honor to be able to be with you. You're often pulling those different books on and off your shelf as you engage them. Sometimes you've got a number of books open all at once so that the, the desk of your mind is kind of cluttered with all these books, commitments that you're having to deal with. Sometimes when you pull a book out, the books shift and they, they want to fall over and then slide off. And sometimes they, when one gets yanked out, it might even cause the books to sort of do the domino effect and even slide into the floor. Then there are things that bump into the shelf that also threaten to unseat those books. You think about the stress or guilt or shame that you live with, pride, pain. Good heavens, you just look at the news anymore and your whole shelf wants to fall over, doesn't it? COVID, I mean. So you need something to hold the books up. You need something to kind of help keep everything in its right place. So consider, what are your bookends? What are the things that are holding up your books? What do you go to to find that stability and security in the midst of everything when life uh, is busy, when the books are flying, when things are bumping into the shelf? What are, you, what are you looking for to do that? Is it busyness? Is it money? Is it a sense of self-reliance? That I got this, I can do this? Is it, is it just the facade that you're holding it together and saying everything's fine when really you're just shoving the pile of books into the corner so you don't have to look at them anymore? Maybe you're binging Stranger Things. Maybe you're opening another can just so you don't have to think about the books. The truth of the matter is, is that no matter how hard we try, the books are going to shift. They're going to tumble. They're going to get torn up and beat up. They're going to get marked in, like when your kids grab it, you know, and they're going to be important books that are going to get dusty or, or cracked from neglect. What are your bookends? What are you using to hold all the books on the shelf? Now, these are the questions that Jerry Bridges asks in his book, The Bookends of the Christian Life. I, I encourage you to grab it. It's a great little kind of reflective piece. It's only that thick, but it's a really thoughtful piece on the Christian life. And his answers is that for followers of Jesus, our two bookends to hold the books on the shelf are, one, the righteousness of Christ, and two, the power of the Holy Spirit. The righteousness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are called to rely on them to support and to stabilize and secure all of our books. Now, again, that first book in the righteousness of Christ means that we find our, our, our identity in Jesus. We ground who we are in the knowledge of who he is and who he says we are. That in in our salvation and in his mercy over us, we find an adoption that grants us a full acceptance and an anchor in, in our selfhood. We, in other words, we are held by him, beloved, cared for, and we are held in those nail-pierced hands forever. 
It's a bookend we can rely on. Now, obviously, there's lots and lots and lots and lots to be said about that particular bookend, but because it's Pentecost Sunday, I actually want to focus on the other one. The second, perhaps often neglected bookend of the power of the Holy Spirit. While the righteousness of Christ provides that firm foundation and security, it's the power of the Spirit that offers us daily strength to live as God has called us to live, to do life with Jesus, even in the midst of the flurry of life, even when the books are spilling or falling on the floor. But even more than that, it's the power of the Spirit that helps us become a faithful testimony to the greatness of Jesus Christ. J.D. Greer has said that many of us think that the Holy Spirit is like our pituitary gland. You know it's there. You're glad you've got one, but you don't really want to lose it, and you don't really know what it does or why it's there. <laughs> you know, Is that the Holy Spirit for us? We know we got it. We know it's there, but what does it do anyway? <laughs> or do we even forget that it's there? Well, of course, to understand and to get a, our hands around the role of the Holy Spirit, we want to get a snapshot of where it all comes from. And so, again, this Pentecost Sunday, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. And I really get, encourage you to get your hands on God's Word in your Bible or Pew Bible. If, do you guys have Pew Bibles? I don't know. Um, or if it's on your phone, that's fine too. But I, just have it in your hand, right? God's Word. And as we get ready to read the arrival of the Holy Spirit uh, for the apostles, um, and just any time before we open God's word, let's pray for help first. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we're so glad you're here in this place, in our hearts. And we are utterly reliant on you to open our minds and our hearts, not just to words on a page, but to hear your voice, to meet with you, to know you, and to do what you do so well, to make us alive again. So Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would open your word and, and make us new. And Father, I pray anything that I say that's not of you would be quickly forgotten. Amen. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, being the apostles, were all together in one place. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in, in his own native language, 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. Thanks be to God for the hearing and reading of his holy word. Amen. The holy Spirit's at work right now. Wow. It's funny that the disciples are caught so off guard by this arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost because just a few weeks before, Jesus in John 14 and 16 has promised them while they're all sitting around the Lord's table like we will do in a a little bit, to send the Holy Spirit to them. Jesus calls him the paraclete, which is helper or comforter, and he's going to come to convict the world of sin, to bring the truth to bear, and to bring comfort hope and encouragement. And this encouragement is going to be pretty important because Jesus is about to go. He's about to leave them. Because after the cross and the resurrection, Jesus was going to go and return to the Father. And so the promised Holy Spirit means that Jesus, who was a constant present to the disciples while they were together wandering from place to place, will now continue to be present with them even after he's gone. And that's important to not just glance over that because it illustrates the first way the Holy Spirit is a bookend for all of us, that he is the presence of God who mediates the very presence of Jesus to us. When we say that God is with us, this isn't just a metaphor. It's not a sentimental platitude. It is a declaration of what is true, that God actually lives in the hearts of his people. His real presence brought to us by the Holy Spirit. In salvation, the soul is regenerated from sin and therefore becomes a dwelling place for God right in our own hearts. And so when we pray like we did just a little bit ago, God is actually here to listen. In fact, he's even more present than Jesus was when the disciples, when he was with the disciples, restrained by time and space. And he's here with us this morning in that exact same way to be present, to be a comfort. Well, Jesus has to remind his disciples again that the promise of the Holy Spirit that that he already declared, that in Acts 1, after the resurrection, Jesus is minutes from being ascended into heaven and his bewildered disciples are saying, what now? What are we going to do now? When are you going to come back? Is this it? And he tells them, after a little while, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus' earthly ministry consisted of proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom has come and caring and loving, healing others. And so now having accomplished salvation in the cross and the resurrection, Jesus is now about to send his disciples to do exactly what he spent his earthly ministry doing, proclaiming the kingdom come inviting others into it, and caring and loving one another. Matthew ends his gospel with Jesus' command to go into the world, make disciples, baptize, teach everything I taught. And then Jesus 
in that we hear Jesus marching orders for the church, right? To go and be a testimony, to be witnesses, to teach, to make disciples. And that very same Matthew passage ends with an important reminder of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He was pointing to the faithful presence of the Holy Spirit that would rest over his disciples even after he was gone. Well, finally, Pentecost comes, right? And there's a big party in Jerusalem at this time because it's the Feast of Weeks. It's one of the big Jewish holidays. You know, you, you don't miss Christmas and Easter. But this is one of the ones you didn't miss in, in the Jewish faith. It's a harvest festival that was a celebration of God's provision of the first fruits of the harvest and a celebration of the giving of the law to Moses. And what that means is Jerusalem's busy. It's full of pilgrims that have come from all over the Roman Empire to celebrate. And so suddenly, when the mighty wind blows through the apostles' house, there are tongues of fire appearing on their heads. We know God is there because these are classic Old Testament-y signs of God's presence. I mean, think about the pillar of fire in the wilderness. Think about the windstorms and the, and the clouds that would, that would accompany the visions of God that the prophets would see. There's no mistaking God is in the house. He has arrived, and the power of God is going to make for a mighty mighty bookend <laughs> to they go into town the crowds are amazed to hear the apostles speaking in each other's native languages you pretty much need the holy spirit to get through the list of the languages that you read in acts 2 it was so but it was such a diverse gathering that luke lists no fewer than 16 different people groups and they're all hearing the mighty works of god in their own native tongue now, this was much more than a publicity stunt. This was far more than just trying to get attention, right, so they could do a sermon. The Spirit is rolling back the curse of the Tower of Babel, way back in Genesis 11. That's a story, if you remember, that tells how humanity at that time had a shared language, shared culture, and so they chose to reject God's mandate over them to be fruitful and multiply, to create good things, to take their God-given abilities to, to not only bring order and life-giving order to creation, but they've instead taken those good gifts and, and rejected all of that in order to build a tower to the sky, which is another way of saying we're going to make a name for ourselves, where we want to be like God, because the sky in that understanding, was that's where the gods were. And if you wanted to be up with God, then you were up literally with God. It's, it's the sin of the garden all over again, isn't it? Hey, if, if we eat the fruit, we'll be like God. If we build a tower where, where, where the gods are supposed to live, we'll be like God. And it's the ultimate effort of trying to make your own bookend, trying to build your own security uh, and life by your own strength and pride. So to prevent humanity cruising blindly down the road to self-destruction, again... God confuses their languages. And so now, unable to work together, they abandon the project. They split off into their own tribes. Partly, you know, Genesis' explanation of why there are so many different people groups. But, but represented there is God having to intervene in order to prevent humanity from de destroying themselves. To try to live as God has called them to live. So at Pentecost, what God is doing is bringing those people back together now under the banner of Christ. 
and under his kingdom. It's a recovery of what humanity was created to be and do from the very beginning. So by the gift of the Holy Spirit, there is a restoration to live as God designed us to live, which is to do life with God as they did in the garden and to take all that God has given, all the books on our shelves, if you will, of time and treasure and ability to be a testimony to him and a blessing to others. That's, that was the ministry, right? To testify to the works of God and to be a blessing to others. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. So with the bookend of the Holy Spirit, you stop the fruitless endeavor of trying to hold up your own life by your own strength, by your own name, by your own pride in order to, to lift up the name of God and to be a blessing to others. And there's something that the Holy Spirit does here that's also important to pick up because the the Holy Spirit is not just our own personal private bookend, if you will. Note that God doesn't eliminate the languages here. It doesn't say they all spoke the same language to one another. It says they heard each other in their respective languages. Or as one commentator put it, that God transcends the, the languages to form a united people of God. As an act of divine grace, divisions within humanity become healed. That's what sin does, right? It breaks up relationship, not just with God, but with one another. And so the Holy Spirit can bring together and restore communities. It can restore families torn apart by hatred by gun violence, by racism, by war, by corruption, or even political animosity. How many, how many of us have families broken right now by any one of these things? You see, followers of Jesus, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, can become what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, agents of reconciliation, in order to be a blessing to others, to bring healing into our communities. Because in a world that feels so out of control, This is the bookend we all need right now. The Holy Spirit is capable of creating community for those who are in Christ Jesus, to bring people who are so vastly different, people who even were once enemies, to come together under the banner of Christ. It removes the barriers to relationship caused by sin and draws people together. And and again, this is not a sentimental kumbaya kind of let's all just be, be together. It's not community for the sake of community. It's it's community with a mission. It's a community with purpose. That's what the church is. You know, so often we think of the church as a place, a building. We're we're at church, right? We call church an event. It's 10 o'clock. We go to church. We think of church as a 501c3, an organization, an institution, a denomination. But really, it's none of those things. Ultimately, it is ultimately a people, God's people on mission. So that it is not simply, let's just be together and feel good about it. We're made for life together, but we're made for life on mission. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, if you aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in. But if you aim for earth, you get neither. And I think you can faithfully reword that to say, if you aim for Jesus, you get community thrown in. If you aim for community, you get neither. But it's the Holy Spirit 
that makes that even possible. It's the Holy Spirit that binds together those who share faith in Jesus Christ. And I find it beautiful to note just how the body of Christ is represented in almost every culture, nationality, and language on the planet. You know, as saints have continued with Jesus' marching order to be a testimony to the ends of the earth, it pulls in people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. And we know that because the image in Revelation 7 of where we're all headed together is a place before the throne of the Lamb of God. People from every tribe, every nation, every language. That is what our forever is going to look like. And we get to begin to experience that forever reality as we gather to worship, as we gather around table, as we are bound together in a common mission by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because indeed the ultimate goal of this bookend of the Holy Spirit is the power of the Holy Spirit Spirit to equip us to be a testimony, to be a witness. The apostles there at Pentecost are using the special gift of languages to tell in their own tongues the mighty works of God. The Holy Spirit instantly takes Peter, a backwater Galilean fisherman who fumbles recklessly in his own faith, shoves him in front of a huge crowd to preach the gospel. Even preaching from the Joel passage that was part of our call to worship this morning. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, it works. It works. Luke reports that over 3,000 people confessed and believed in Jesus Christ that day, responding to the quickening of the Spirit by the Holy Spirit in their own hearts. That's why we often call Pentecost the birthday of the church, because it's really the day where the, the church, the people of God on mission, is launched into the world. We need, we need this bookend. We need the Spirit to be our bookend, too. We, too, have been called to be a witness to the ends of the earth. The bookend of the Spirit, it's, it's not simply to live our best life now. It's, it's not about us just having the life we've always wanted. That would make us use, be using God for our own ends. This, we are called, we are indwelled by the Spirit in order to be equipped to be this testimony. It means you need the Holy Spirit to give you those words, the opportunities to be the testimony to the mighty acts of God, to give voice to that, to enable us to share in the joy of sharing Jesus to the ends of the earth. And then we can find ourselves like the apostles in the rest of the book of Acts, which is a thrilling account of how the Holy Spirit fueled the church to be a testimony again and again and again and again. First in Jerusalem, then pressed out of Jerusalem by persecution into the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria, eventually launched into the ends of the earth in the Roman Empire. And it is the mission that we are still on today, taking the gospel, being a witness to the testimony of Jesus to the ends of the earth. We need that bookend. We we can't hold our lives together. We, We can't do it. We've tried. We cannot live, keep all the books on our own, much less maintain a faithful testimony to Christ or be agents of change in our broken families or communities or countries. We can't do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. We aren't enough. 
You ever find that the Holy Spirit kind of feels like a, a luxury add-on for really spiritual people? Like, well, yeah, that's nice. I believe in the Holy Spirit, but man, is it, do I experience the Holy Spirit? Do I live out of the Holy Spirit? Do I experience fellowship with God regularly by the power of the Holy Spirit? Corey Tinboom, obviously a Holocaust survivor, uses the illustration of a hand and a glove. She says, you know, the glove cannot do anything by itself, but when my hand is in it, I, it can do many things. We are gloves, she says. It is the Holy Spirit in us who is the hand, who does the job. We have to make room for the hand so that every finger is filled. But yeah, like that pituitary gland, is, it, is that a resource we, we regularly go to do, that we remember that we even have? Bill Bright of Campus Crusade once tells this story. It says, during the Depression, Mr. Yates owned a sheep ranch. And Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough on his ranching operation to pay the, the interest and the principal on his mortgage. So he was in danger of losing the ranch. So he, with little money for clothes or food, his family, like so many of that day, had to live on a government subsidy. So day after day, as he grazed his sheep over those rolling West Texas hills, he was no doubt greatly troubled about how he, he was going to pay the bills. Then a seismographic crew from an oil company came into the area and told him there might be oil on his land. And they asked permission to drill, and he agreed. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Subsequent wells were more than twice as large. And in fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test of one of the wells showed it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And the reality is, Mr. Yates owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he had received the oil and the mineral rights. But without knowing that it was there, he'd been living on relief. A multimillionaire living in poverty. The problem, he didn't know the oil was there, even though he owned it. How many of us live in spiritual poverty because we don't know the well is there, that we don't know the reserves are right under our feet, just waiting to be tapped? Paul writes to Timothy, his protege, for this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Life's hard. Life's weary. And we can't do it on our own. There are powers working against us to do that. And yet, even in the midst of trying to hold our life together, we're still a people called on mission. We need the Holy Spirit for that too. We need the reminder of God's promise. We need the power of the Spirit surging within us. We need the Spirit to roll back the curse of our own sin, to, to reveal the fruitless pursuit of trying to make a name for ourselves and to draw us into life with Him as His people. You know, our headlines have too many examples of pastors and churches trying to build a kingdom, a tower to the heavens by their own brand, by their own hands. We need the Spirit's help to build 
kingdom relationship, kingdom communities to equip us on our mission in the world. But you see, just as Paul told Timothy, God gives us the Holy Spirit to overcome the fear. God gives us the Holy Spirit to live by a power, by his love, by control, self-control. But you know what, this morning, if the only thing you, you hear this is that just to be reminded that God is with you, then hear that. God is with you. He's right under your feet. He's just waiting to be tapped, waiting to provide for, for your need. When you're feeling weak, tap, tap into the Holy Spirit to find God's strength to meet your need. When, when someone asks for prayer, follow the Holy Spirit and don't just say, I will pray for you. Just say, can we pray right now? And then trust the Holy Spirit to, to bring the words that need to be prayed. Or if, if all you've got left are groans, then let the Holy Spirit bring those groans. Because even Paul says that the Holy Spirit will groan for us when that's all that we have left. Pray for a listening heart that can hear and sense the Holy Spirit. For those nudges when it's time to speak the name of Jesus to someone else. And frankly, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get more than when you share your faith. When you're desperate for God to say, God, I don't know what to say right now, but please speak through me. Because the more you trust God to share your faith, to be that testimony, the more of his joyous presence that you will find. We need that bookend, church. So may we lean in daily to the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we admit we, we are, our default tends to be to rely on our own strength. So Father, forgive us for those times when, when we needed to go to you first. God, we, we remember the testimony of scripture that when we are weak, your strength is on its greatest display. And this morning, many of us find ourselves weak, beat down, weary. Many of us find ourselves in broken relationships, broken families, broken community. Oh, Holy Spirit, minister in those places and use us as ministers of reconciliation, as terrifying as that really is. But God, we, we confess again, we preach to our hearts again that you've not given us a spirit of fear but you have given us your power, your great love, and then the self-control and the discipline to step out in faith, to be a testimony to the ends of our world, whatever their world might be, and to make great the testimony of Jesus Christ, to be the church, the people of God on mission. Give us what we need to do that. Bless us as we get ready to meet you by the power of your spirit with Jesus in his real presence. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.